So let me ask you a question as we get started this evening. Have you ever had a bad day? Just show of hands. How many have ever had a bad day? Okay, every hand. How many of you had a bad week? The whole week was bad. Okay, still everybody. How many of you had a bad month? <laughs> a bad year? Anybody just have a bad year? <laughs> a bad season? <laughs> right, we all have had bad days, bad weeks, all right? This side of heaven, it is inevitable. Well, I want you to know that bad days are not exclusive just to human beings. Did you know that animals can have bad days as well? And I wanna give you one example of that. Uh, it actually uh, comes from a book by Max Licato, a book called The Eye of the Storm. He writes about this poor bird that had a really bad day. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it into the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Poor Chippy got sucked in. <laughs> the bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with so much dust, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was choked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who'd initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. <laughs> it's hard not to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. We've all felt like Chippy from time to time. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. And we're actually studying a book, and, and of all the books that we could have started with, I just felt like 1 Peter was the first book to launch uncaged Bible ministry because 1 Peter is a book written by an author who had his ups and downs, written to a people who are experiencing pain and persecution in their life. And I thought, what a perfect book for us to start with because this has been a very difficult season for a lot of people. It's pandemic, divisiveness in politics. It seems like online, just a grumpier, meaner people. <laughs> And I want to suggest to you, though, in reality, I think that this can be our finest moment as followers of Christ. And the reason why I call this series Indestructible Hope is because in a world that seems hopeless right now, we have this incredible opportunity 
to show them what a hope-filled life is, a hope that isn't rested in everything on earth turning out okay, but a hope that's rested and rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a living hope. This is gonna be a hope-filled 12 weeks. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and we are going verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. Um, One of our convictions with Uncaged Bible Ministry is to expository teaching, which simply means verse by verse through books of the Bible. We need to stop just cherry-picking, and we need to learn all of God's word from beginning to end. We need to immerse ourselves into the depth and truth of God's word. And it's time that us pastors... Be reminded that the goal isn't to keep people entertained or to draw a crowd, it is to make disciples who are deeply rooted in the word of God and in their faith that can then impact a world that desperately needs him. So let's go ahead and read 1 Peter, verse by verse. Now, week one, we're actually not covering very much. We're actually only gonna cover the first couple verses. Don't worry, we'll cover more in the future or else this would be a very, very long series. But there is so much richness just in two verses of scripture. And this is really the introduction. And let's be honest, if if you've read through your Bible and and maybe you've read through your Bible in a year and that's quite a bit of reading. um, And and let's be honest, have you sometimes just kind of like, just kind of quickly breezed through the introduction, the greeting of the letter, and and maybe even the end of the letter where the author, whether it's Paul or Peter, kind of thanks certain people, and you don't know who they are, and you don't care who they are, and so you just kind of rush through that part to get to the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you, the good stuff's in the greeting, in this book anyways. And so we're only going to cover two verses, but I could tell you, I could do a 12-week series just on the two verses of this intro. And so we're going to dive in. And here's what we're going to do. You're going to leave here today with four reasons to be encouraged today. And no matter what's going on in your life, and that's not to minimize pain and hurt that all of us experience and the things that we face, but four reasons to be encouraged today. Do you know that we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always? We will not always be happy, but we should always have joy. And I want to give you four reasons today, not my four reasons, four reasons that Peter gives us on why we can be encouraged today no matter what we're going on in life. Here's what he does in just two verses, all right? We have the author, all right? He identifies himself. We have the audience who says who he's writing to, and then he gives just an opening affirmation. And just by looking at the author, the audience, and the affirmation, we're going to walk away with four words of encouragement. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's dive in, and let's just look at the first six words of this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Christ. I want you to notice something here of Jesus Christ. If you go to the next slide, of Jesus Christ. This is very interesting. It may not seem that interesting, but this phrase, of Jesus Christ, is never used in connection with any other office in the church or in the establishment of the early church. You will never see missionary of Jesus Christ. You will never see prophet of Jesus Christ. You will never see evangelist of Jesus Christ. The only time of Jesus Christ is attached to a particular office or role in the church is with the apostles. The 12 apostles, the, well you could maybe add 13 Paul, uh, the apostles 
are the only ones with that identification. The apostles play a very important role. In fact, it tells us in the book of Colossians that the apostles are the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone, but it's the apostles who are helped the foundation, the apostles and prophet of the foundation of the church. In fact, you fast forward all the way uh, to the last book of the Bible, chapter 21, Revelation, the glorious chapter that talks about the new heavens and the new earth, this new Jerusalem, this, this new holy city, and it says this. It says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Your name's not going to be there. My name's not going to be on the wall. The only names inscribed on the wall of the holy city in the new Jerusalem someday in heaven are going to be the names of the apostles. And you might say, well, why are you making such a big deal of that? I'm making a big deal of that because it's Peter. <laughs> Peter is one of the 12 for all of eternity. Whenever you walk into the holy city of the new Jerusalem, every time you walk in, you're going to see the name of Peter inscribed on that wall. And I don't know about you, but that is a source of incredible encouragement to me because Peter gets a lot of press. In fact, other than Jesus, Peter's talked about more in the Gospels than anybody else, and we see the good, the bad, and the ugly of Peter, don't we? It was Peter that, along with the other disciples, when Jesus is ready to offer his life, they're bickering about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It was Peter. When Jesus was trying to wash his feet, he totally missed it. He totally didn't get it. He tried to stop Jesus from washing his feet. And then when Jesus tried to explain it, Peter still didn't get it. Oh, then wash my whole body. He didn't get it. It was, it was Peter who, <laughs> in the same chapter, is commended by God, by Jesus, when, when he got the name Jesus right. Who is Jesus? And he says who he is, and he says, well done, Peter, right? You got it right, yeah. And then in the same chapter, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, only Peter, right? It's like in the same chapter, great, you got it right. Way to go, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. All right? I don't think I need to explain this, but you never want Jesus to give you the nickname Satan. All right? That is not a good day. All right? This is Peter. It was Peter who, who bragged, really, or at least that's what it feels like from the text, bragged almost that he would never deny Christ no matter what. And yet he denied him three times before the rooster crowed. And the reason that's such a great source of encouragement is because that same Peter, Jesus chose to be an apostle. That same Peter, for all of eternity, we're gonna see his name inscribed on the wall of the holy city. Now I'm gonna tell you, you and I, our name will not be inscribed on the wall, but our names are written in the book of life. Amen. And I wanna let you in on something. God loves you and me just as much as he loves Peter. And I want to tell you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same Jesus who patiently came alongside Peter, rebuked him when he needed to, but loved him and stuck with him through it all is the same God, the same Savior who wants to do the same with you and I. You see, the first source of encouragement, the first reason for encouragement is this. God doesn't give up on his children. 
Aren't you thankful for that? I have six kids. My wife and I have six kids. We've never given up on our kids, but boy, we sure haven't liked them sometimes. And my guess is <laughs> probably more times they haven't liked us. <laughs> but you know what? It says in the scriptures that the Lord remembers that we are of dust. He never forgets our humanness. He never forgets prone to wander, oh, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And yet he doesn't give up. There's some of you that might be here tonight and you've really struggled this week. You've struggled with sin, you've struggled with your attitude. And I want you to know, nothing has changed. Your name is still written in the book of life. It's inscribed there, and I wanna tell you, it's the same God, just like Jesus came alongside Peter and gave him three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Why three? Because G Peter denied him three times. Three times, Jesus said, I'm giving you an opportunity for redemption and I'm gonna still use you. The truth of the matter is all of us have bruises and scars. Sometimes they're self-inflicted and sometimes they've been inflicted by others. <laughs> but we need to start seeing those as incredible things that God wants to redeem for his glory. Even our failures our mistakes, our stumbles, are things that God wants to use for his greater kingdom. Aren't you thankful for that? God doesn't give up on his children. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture right here, Romans chapter eight, verse 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I'm gonna tell you, if that doesn't do something to your soul, you need to check your spiritual pulse right now. Amen. Come on. Amen. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Amen. Nothing. There was a father who had told his son he would send him to sleep in the attic with only bread and water for his supper if he chose to disobey him again. Well, the boy was a boy, so <laughs> he disobeyed, and he was sent to the attic. But the father couldn't eat. He had his son on his mind and his heart. His wife said, I know what you're thinking, <laughs> but you must not bring the boy from the attic. It would cause him to disobey again. He would have no respect for your word. You must not cheapen your relationship as his father by failing to keep your word. The husband replied, you're right. I will not break my promise. But he is so lonely up there. He kissed his wife goodnight, entered the attic, ate bread and water with his son. And when the child went to sleep on the hard boards, his father's arms was his pillow. And I love that tender little story because I think it's the same for you and I as adopted children of God. God, God is a holy God. I hope that when, when you heard me say that he doesn't give up on his children, I, I, I hope you didn't hear me say, oh, well, I, I can do whatever I want. This is a great deal. 
No, God is still holy. In fact, here's what's gonna happen as we dissect this book. These first two weeks, the first half of chapter one is a big dose of encouragement. Could, Could anyone use some encouragement this week and next week? All right, well, you're gonna get it. A lot of encouragement, okay? Well, you know, Peter's kind of setting us up because he's going to give us a lot of encouragement. And he's going to say, now, in light of that, (laughs) and he's going to push us towards holiness. God's love and tenderness and mercy and forgiveness is not an excuse to be unholy people. It is what fuels us to be holy people. And so I want to make sure we hear that today, just like the Father, true to his word, but there, (laughs) with his son, even when his son had disobeyed. All right, that's the first encouragement. God doesn't give up on his children. Let's look at the second one. Let's look at the second half of, of, of verse one, okay? To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, Bithynia. Now, this was a crazy season. So, this was written in 64 AD. And you might say, so what? 64 AD was very significant because something happened in 64 AD. And in 64 AD, um, if I'm right, some of you history you know, buffs can make sure, but I believe 64 AD was when Rome had burned. And the emperor at the time was Nero. Let's put a picture of this lovely guy here. This is Emperor Nero, as I like to call him, Emperor Cray Cray. (laughs) I mean, this guy was a few marbles short, okay? He was so mad at the Senate for not financing his desire to to build and build and build that historians believe that he actually burned down Rome just so he could rebuild it again and then because of his dislike, his hatred for Christians, blamed the Christians for doing it. Tradition tells us that uh, he would put animal skin on Christians and let loose ferocious wild dogs to chase them and devour them. Tradition tells us that he would stick Christians in pitch and then light them on fire to uh, to light up his garden at night, burning them alive to light his garden. This is the time frame of when these Christians that Peter is writing to, this this is that time that they were living in. This is what they were experiencing. I mean, it makes us feel a little, little silly, some of the things we complain about, doesn't it? I mean, yesterday, I got so mad at my phone because that little twirly thing, you know, when it's, it's not working right, it's a stinking thing. I got so mad, I threw it down in disgust. And I think to myself, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I am, like, angry. I'm like, you know, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. I have to wait, like, a minute. <laughs> you know, and this is a good heart check a book like first peter because he's writing to christians who literally have no idea if they're going to live another day now you'll notice on here we're, we're going to you're going to discover in first peter there's some preaching but there's teaching okay and so we're going to verse by verse we're going to cover a lot so if we can go go to the next verse all right, and we'll notice a couple things with this part of the verse. Okay, these five areas, Pontus, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, okay? Let me show you a map here. Those, those are provinces of Rome. Those five are provinces of Rome, okay? Uh, that didn't show up too great, but... Um, so in Bible times, it was known as Asia Minor. For some of you that are very good with your geography, um, that area, those five provinces, is in modern-day Turkey, okay? And when he wrote them, I want you to notice something else that he says. I want you to notice two other things before we move on to the next verse. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. This is very important. What is the dispersion? No, capital D there, dispersion, okay? The dispersion technically, technically, now, now you gotta understand something, that Peter wrote this, sometimes he used very Jewish language, and then sometimes very Gentile language, and so most scholars believe that he was writing to believers who were both Gentile and Jewish. This is a very Jewish word, dispersion. It refers to uh, the Jews when, when they've been dispersed or scattered away from their homeland of Israel. But he's using it in a spiritual sense for both the Gentiles and the Jews, and he's referring that, that in the same sense that you're scattered away from home. You're not home, but what he's talking about, and this is going to be a theme throughout uh, uh, 1 Peter, so this is so important to, to kind of dial in on this a little bit. What he's saying is you are also scattered, and you are away from home because your home isn't earth. Your home is heaven. In fact, you look at the next, go to the next slide if you would. He uses this phrase, elect exiles. And he's gonna use, he likes this word exiles. He's gonna use it a number of times in 1 Peter. This is the only time he attaches elect and exiles together though. This is the only time you'll find this in scripture. But I love that, elect exiles. In fact, if you're taking notes, write that down, elect exiles. Because one of the take homes for us is, what does that mean for us to live like elect exiles? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, what does he mean? He means you are elect, meaning God has chosen you. God has chosen to redeem you. He has chosen to save you. But you are exiles. He hasn't just chosen you to have a relationship with him. He has also chosen, chosen you to have a home in heaven. And so you have to live like an exile here. This isn't home. You've been chosen for a home, a perfect home. A home that resembled Genesis 1 and 2, not a home that resembled Genesis 3 up to Genesis 19. I mean, I love what the Bible does. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis and the two last chapters, great bookmarks. Revelation 21 and 22, what do they focus on? Perfect God, perfect place, perfect people. That's your home, amen? amen. This morning I was visiting in the hospital with a man one day he's up working on construction on a house. The next, next moment he falls straight on his head. Not much older than me. And I got a call and asked if I would come and pray with the family. And so I did that today. And not far from my age, but he has severe brain trauma. You never know. You never know what a day brings. And today, my goal is not to explain how to live as elect exiles because Peter's going to do that in this book. I will only give you one thing, and I would encourage you maybe to write it down. It's not in the notes. I'll just give you one today. How do we live like elect exiles? Chosen people, but chosen. 
to make a difference here, but chosen ultimately for a different place. How do we live as elect exiles? Here's what you do. You grab tightly to joy by loosening your grip on the world. If you're holding tightly to this world, joy will be an up and down pursuit in your life. The only way to hold tight to joy is to loosen your grip this side of heaven. And I'm gonna take that a step further, even loosening the grip of people in your life. I love my wife. I love my family. My family's here have been great support, incredible support in the last couple months. Love them dearly. But if I ever get to the point where I say, I can't live if something happens to one of my kids, I've held them too tight. Some of you might struggle hearing that. I've been shocked, sadly, and I'm an optimist if you know me, but the last couple years of this pandemic has been a real eye-opener to me of how little we really think of home and how tightly we hold on to now. We need to have the spirit of Paul when he said in Philippians, to live is Christ but to die is gain. When that becomes your spirit, if I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live for Christ. But if I die, what gain? That, I believe, is what it means, one of the ways a person lives as a elect exile. All right, so the second thing is this, and I'm gonna be careful here. Like I said, I'm preaching a while, so I am watching the clock, sort of, all right? The second encouragement or second reason to have encouragement is this. We may face some heartache now, but heaven knows no pain. And I told you that story about the man I visited and the Lord, on the way up to the elevator, I was just gonna pray with him, but the Lord gave me a verse of scripture from Psalm 61 when it says, go to the rock that is higher than you. And I read that and under that it talked about, and this was a Psalm by David and we talked about when he was going through trials and hard times and, and you know, go to the rock that was higher than him. But the next verse says, and may I dwell in the tent of the Lord forever. And I put it tactfully, but my encouragement to the family was, your husband, your son-in-law, your dad can't lose. He can't lose. If he goes on in living, praise God to live as Christ. But if God takes him, it is gain for him. We have to recapture that, friends. We have to recapture to live as Christ, to die is gain. Let's look at the third word of encouragement. Verse two. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood May grace and peace be multiplied 
to you. You probably noticed it as we read that. You noticed all three parts of the Trinity. Did you catch that, right? Right, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so the encouragement is this for us. We can go back to that, uh, the third encouragement. The third reason we can be encouraged is because all three persons of the Godhead are at work in us. You ever feel unimportant? You feel like your life doesn't matter? You feel like nobody cares? Just stop for a moment and read verse two and be reminded of this. All three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, was involved not only in your salvation, but in your daily sanctification as well. That's how much you matter to God. He activates all part of his persons. In your life, my life, Let's look at those three really quick. Foreknowledge of God. Sanctification of the Spirit. Sprinkling with his blood. Foreknowledge, we'll come to that in a second. Sanctification and the sprinkling of the blood which should lead to obedience. So there's three things that he does. He foreknows us, he sanctifies us, and his blood of Jesus was sprinkled on our behalf. Now let's look at that first one. The Father foreknows, the foreknowledge of God. Now, we're not going to get into the debate on, on election versus free will or any of that today, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Um, my, the weekly theological uh, uh, videos that I'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll hit some of those things. But you, some of you will be disappointed because on secondary issues, I'm gonna give you the verses to study. I'm not gonna tell you what to believe. That's not my job to tell you what to believe. It's my job to demonstrate how to study the word of God. Amen. And it's the spirit of God who teaches us through the word of God. So I'm not gonna give you a position, did, did God choose us or did we choose God or was it a combination of both? I simply wanna say this tonight, that we have made the foreknowledge of God something to debate instead of something to be comforted by. And wherever you land on the issue of what does that mean, foreknowledge, what you need to understand is this. Somehow, some way, God foreknew us. Because this Greek word for foreknew isn't just to know something's gonna happen ahead of time. The use of this word isn't to know about something, but to know somebody. The foreknowledge of God is not just a theological principle to debate in seminary. To foreknow is to forelove. Wrap your finite mind around that. Before you're even a thought in your parents' mind, somehow God already knew and loved you. I don't understand how that works. I can't figure that out. But somehow, an infinite God who's not limited by time and space like we are has this ability to already know and love you before you're even created. Come on! Amen. And by the way, knowing what you're going to do, knowing what you're going to think, knowing all of those mistakes, and he chose not to just foreknow you, but to forelove you. He foreknew us. He chose us. He chose a people for himself. And it was the spirit of God. It wasn't being a great evangelist. It wasn't. It was the spirit of God who reached you, who sanctified you. The word means to be set apart. He set you apart. 
for salvation, but for daily sanctification. It can also mean to be holy. I'm gonna say something. I, I think perhaps in the last two months, I've learned more about what it means to be spirit-led than the last 28 years in ministry. And I'm not saying I wasn't spirit-led that the last 28 years were a waste or anything like that at all. I'm very thankful for every church I've served in and the people I've met and loved. But God meets you in your brokenness and in your confusion. And Jesus said before he left the earth, I mean, think about this. Jesus said before he left the earth, it's good for me to leave for I will send to you the Holy Spirit. You might say, the disciples probably like, what? (laughs) And here's why, catch this. Jesus was with them, but when the Spirit came, the Spirit would be in them. Each one of them that know Christ. So each one of us who are in Christ, who have given our lives to Christ, have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us, and Jesus himself said his goal is to lead us, to guide us, to counsel us, to teach us. So if you're in a church, and it's sad how many churches that only talk about God the Father and God the Son and don't talk about God the Spirit, you need to be very weary of that church because the Spirit of God we've been given to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. And when you empty yourself and just say, I just want to do your will, God, it is amazing where he will lead you. I've actually had a couple people, and it's out of their kindness and love for me, and I appreciate that, and I love wise counsel. Um, They said, man, are you moving kind of quick on this? I mean, it seems like things just happen and there's a wonderful season you're in, but kind of a rough landing. And, and are you, I mean, are you sure? I mean, and, and here's what I say, and I mean this with all my heart. I'm only moving as fast as the Holy Spirit of God in my life. Amen. I mean that. God has opened doors. And there's something beautiful in that and that you can sleep really well at night. I've had people say, well, how many people do you think will come tonight? I don't know. <laughs> Was our website up and running yet? Nope, not yet. <laughs> Another delay. Aren't you worried? Nope. God's will, God's bill. (laughs) It really allows you to sleep well at night. Try it. (laughs) I mean, seriously, every day wake up and just say, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't determine next week or the week after that. What I can do today is I can be faithful to God, I can show the love of Jesus, and I can follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life today. That's all I can do today. It's the spirit who will sanctify if we will keep in step with him, as Galatians says. And I want to tell you, it's all possible, not because of how wonderful and cute and cuddly we were to God. It's all possible because Jesus' blood was sprinkled on our behalf. The sprinkling of blood on people in the Old Testament only happened three times. Uh, once it happened with lepers as ceremonial cleaning. The second time, I, I don't remember, go find it, because um, I just forgot. But the, the third time was when the people had returned to God and they made a covenant of returning to God and God had um, them sprinkled 
with the blood of an animal to seal the covenant. I want you to catch this. A covenant was this, I will be your God, I will lead you, I will guide you, I will bless you. You're making a covenant to follow me. Let us seal it with blood. Many cultures in Bible times would seal covenants and deals with blood. So the only time really where it was about the people of Israel and about obedience was that one time, the, the passage escapes me, it's one of the first five books of the Bible, so just read those this week and you'll find it, but <laughs> catch this connection he's making in this verse. Obedience to the Son to the sprinkling of his blood. He's saying this, because the blood of Christ, because Christ was slaughtered on a tree for our sins, but rose from the dead, you've been sprinkled with his blood and the covenant deal isn't just fire insurance. It's not just heaven, as we've talked about, that's our home. It is a life of radical obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what the blood of Christ, that's what having a God who foreknew us, foreloved us, and that out of appreciation for the daily leading of the Holy Spirit should lead us ultimately to what verse says, obedience. Now, I don't wanna work ahead of myself because in a couple weeks, we're gonna get to action. The first two weeks is encouragement. And so I want to end with one last thing tonight. Go back to that verse. It ends, and this is a very common greeting um, in Bible times. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Never will you find peace and grace, by the way. You can look it up. You can read through every letter. Never is it peace and grace. It is always grace first and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, it was a standard greeting, but it has huge implications. Grace, uh, kara, I think the word was, was a very common Gentile greeting, kara to you, grace to you. For the Jewish people, peace or shalom was a common greeting. So see what Peter does here. He takes both Gentile and Jew, kara, shalom, grace, peace to you. Always in this order, though, and I'll end with this, kind of. And you know, whenever a pastor says in conclusion, he's got about 15 minutes left. Just, I'll just let you in on a little secret, okay? <laughs> sort of in closing, I'd like to say. <laughs> There's significance to this. Think about this. When we've experienced the grace of God, it gives us peace with God, which leads to the peace of God. Let me say that again. When we've experienced the grace of God, we, we know that, right? You can't, you can't earn salvation. <laughs> it is the grace of God, it is what, his work, right? And when you receive the grace of God, it gives you peace with God, which gives you the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God, guess what that leads to? Peace with others. People who have a hard time having peace with others are people that, aren't, that don't have the peace of God. You have the peace of God, you get overwhelmed with the grace of God, then guess what? Other people, when they slight you, it isn't as big a deal as, as, as it used to be. When you get the grace of God, you just wanna give it back. You wanna multiply it to others. Hope that you're encouraged tonight with these opening words. I'm a little rusty, so I hope I didn't put too many of you to sleep tonight. But be encouraged no matter what you face today. 
God doesn't give up on his children. Amen? Amen. We may face some heartache now, but heaven knows no pain. Amen? Amen? Number three, all three persons of the Godhead are at work in us. Crazy that he'd love us that much. Amen? Amen. And reason number four, the result of God's work in our lives is more grace and peace for our lives. I hope you're encouraged. Let me close. You know, I started with an animal illustration. I'll close with an animal illustration. All right, but this one's a dog. How many dog owners do we have? Yes. How many cat owners do we have? All right, we'll pray for your soul. (laughs) Pray that God gets a hold of you tonight. Well, this, is, uh, this, is, <laughs> this was in a newspaper uh, in the Lost and Found column. Remember the days when there were newspapers and people read them? <laughs> and uh, this was in a Midwestern new- newspaper. In the Lost and Found column, here's what it said. Lost dog, brown fur, some missing due to mange, blind in one eye, deaf, lame leg due to recent traffic accident, Slightly arthritic. Goes by the name of Lucky. (laughs) May not seem very lucky, but I want to tell you, my life sometimes feels like that dog. And I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. Because in the worst moments, we have far more than we deserve. In our worst moments, whether done to us or self-inflicted, in our worst moments, God is still so, so good. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want us to close in prayer, and you can go ahead and close your eyes. And um, I want to read this, and then I'll, I'll pray. This was from Brennan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Just, just soak this in. If Jesus appeared at your dining room table tonight with knowledge of everything you are and are not, total comprehension of your life story and every skeleton hidden in your closet, if he laid out the real state of your present discipleship with the hidden agenda, the mixed motives, and the dark desires buried in your psyche, you would still feel his acceptance and forgiveness. Whatever our failings may be, We need not lower our eyes in the presence of Jesus. We need not hide all that is ugly and repulsive in us. Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. And there they are, and there we are, the multitude who so wanted to be faithful who at times got defeated, soiled by life and bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to the faith. My friends, if this is not good news to you, you have never understood the gospel of grace. Father God, Thank you for the glorious gospel. Thank you that, God, that you foreknew us and in knowing everything we would say and do still, foreloved us. Thank you that 
We can know you, not because of our work, but because of the work of Christ, that his blood was sprinkled on that cross to cleanse us from sin. Thank you that we daily have the spirit of God to help us be conformed more and more into the image of you. And thank you, Father, that no matter what happens, we can't lose. Our home is secure in heaven. You have a place for us. And so, Father, may we live with indestructible hope this week. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.